Well, did you kind of choke when you cried out, crucify him? That was tough, wasn't it? You know, the, the first time I did that was a Saturday evening service, and I, and I didn't know that was coming up. I, I wasn't aware, and, and I just, you know, my first reaction was, I'm not going to say that. Thank you very much. I mean, the whole worship service can kind of fall flat on its face. I'm not saying it. But then I thought a little more deeply, and I thought, well, even if the words didn't come out of my mouth, how often would the actions this week how often would the thoughts in my mind say it? You see, we're talking about perseverance tonight. And, and, and all of these good intentions that start out with this wonderful Palm Sunday parade, and by Friday they're crying, crucify him. How in the world do we carry on those intentions that are so good and so pure toward God? One of the things we know we can't do is depend simply on ourselves. And so I want to give you a little, angle, a little different angle about perseverance tonight. Because perseverance is not about how much energy you have or how much longer you can last with what you're doing. That's not perseverance. And perseverance for holiness is not how long you can keep at doing the right things and refrain from doing the wrong things. Now, please understand me. It's wonderful to do the right things and it's damaging to do the wrong things. That will always be, and what you do does count. We'll all be judged by what we do. We'll be, we'll be judged on our works. There will be a judgment of sin and a judgment of works, and so those works are very important. However, when we talk about the perseverance for holiness, it's not a singular effort. You know, we've got kind of a, something to overcome in this country, and that is we define holiness by simply what we do. And it started out a long time ago. Benjamin Franklin, for example, had what he called a moral ledger. And every day, Benjamin Franklin would come home and he'd open up that ledger and he'd list what he had done bad and he'd list what he had done good. And he kept his ledger. And of course, hopefully, he was trying to do more good stuff and refrain from doing bad stuff. Unfortunately, Benjamin Franklin was not only one of the brilliant founding fathers politically, he was also an example of a kind of Christianity that grew up in this nation that said holiness is about just what we do and doing more good stuff than bad. No. There is a, a relationship in holiness. Look at what Paul says in Philippians. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to Philippians chapter 3. Because Paul doesn't count up his righteousness. Paul only sees his righteousness in a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, uh, now, first he starts out, you aren't holy, I give you holy. And he's pointing to himself. Pharisee, lawkeeper, Jewish guy, mm -mm, holy. As the world sees holy, holy. But watch what turn, what radical turn he takes in verse 8. Look at what it says. More than that, I count all things to be loss in, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, when he became a Christian, what he said was, you know all those good works I told you about? They don't count for anything. 
The only thing that really counts is my being together with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that really counts. And so all of them are kind of like garbage to me when it comes to just in comparison with coming close to Jesus. Now look at what else he says. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law. That is that moral ledger, how many good things you've done. Not having a righteousness of my own, but it says... But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from faith or from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Remember that. Knowing somebody is not just knowing the good stuff about them, it's sticking with them in the bad in the in the tough stuff. He said, I want to come so close to him, I not only know the power of his resurrection, I know what it feels like to suffer with him. I know what he felt like when he suffered. And, he says, um, and being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to, the Greek word really means arrive at, the resurrection from the dead. Now let's talk about this for a minute. It is so difficult, this concept is so difficult for American Christianity because Americans are very much isolated and individualistic in their moral achievement. And we have a very difficult time with relationships. Have you noticed we do. We do. Um, a couple of weeks ago when I was in Egypt, and we took a, an interesting trip. We went to see a Coptic church. Most of Egypt, of course, is uh, uh, Muslim. But about 18% of Egypt is Christian. And about 16% of that 18% is Coptic Christian. That is, St. Mark uh, supposedly brought Christianity uh, to Egypt. It's an ancient form, orthodox form of Christianity. But they love Jesus. They love Jesus. So we were going to see this Coptic church that I told you about, uh, some of you about, that's been hollowed out of the side of a mountain. It is literally a cave that seats 10,000 people. Goes, goes, goes almost straight down, seating 10,000 people. But it's right in the middle of what they call garbage city. This is the place in Cairo where literally they take all the garbage and there are people who live there. Thousands of people who live there. This Coptic church ministers to all the garbage workers and their families. And there are people who live in the midst of these garbage piles, just pulling out what they can reclaim, what little bit gleaning from those fields, so to speak, what little bit they can have to take in order that they can get just enough to live. Sometimes it's food, sometimes it's, it's recyclables, whatever it is. That's how they live. And then on Sunday, they all go to this Coptic church. They've got one dress-up outfit. It's so it's so wonderful. They all dress up, not, us, not dress up like you and I would, but dressed up, dressed up. And they go, and this is a great church. They love Jesus. And then they come back. And when I was going through this garbage city, I expected to be filled with all kinds of pity for these poor people. And, the, and some of it was pity. I mean, the smell was absolutely repugnant, nauseating. But... We were going through, and I was looking out the window, and you know what? Their kids were playing just like our kids play. And, and they were goofing off with each other just like we goof off with each other. And they were smiling and laughing and giggling with each other. And went to the church, and there were Christians having fellowship with one another just like we do. And they were hanging around afterwards doing a church thing just like we do. And surprisingly, I didn't feel sorry for them. Surprisingly, I didn't feel like I had even been to Garbage City 
until I came back to Orlando and looked down 1792. <laughs> That's garbage city. Because, let me tell you why, these people had wonderful relationships. They knew Christ. And they had these relationships with one another. They had great families. They had, they had extended families. They knew how to love one another. And I looked down 1792, and it is an an absolute visualization of our bankruptcy in relationships. The people that frequent these places are so desperate for some sort of pseudo-relationship that they'll pretend like that is going to fulfill them. And it is pitiful. It's absolutely heartbreaking. That's where my compassion is. For this country that doesn't know how to have a relationship with God anymore, doesn't know how to have a lasting relationship with each other. That's the pitiful part. What's the greatest thing on TV? What's the most popular thing on TV these days? On, during the daytime, it's talk shows. You know what those talk shows are about? 90% of those talk shows are about broken relationships. I mean, listen to the advertisements of these things. They'll come on with, with printed on the screen. Have you had an affair? And you want to surprise your spouse on our show? <laughs> Call 1-800-JERRY or whatever, you know? I mean, can you think of anything more morally bankrupt, more relationally pitiful than something like Why would you ever do that to someone you loved? But yet there are people in line to do this thing. You have a child who is sexually promiscuous or on drugs and you want to confront them on our show? Call 1-800-whatever. You see the moral, you see the relational bankruptcy there? It's absolutely awful. We live in garbage city because we think in terms of being alone. How does this thing relate to us? How, do, how does a relationship relate to me? I'm the center of this thing. We live like that as a nation in our faith. I mean, I, did you see the paper yesterday with the statistics in the paper? This is amazing. They had a little block somewhere in the uh, section A of a, a survey that, uh, that USA and News, uh, US, US News and World Report had sponsored. And it was a survey on heaven. And, and it came out with these statistics. This is amazing to me. 67% of the people in the United States believe in heaven. 87% of the people in the United States believe they'll be there. <laughs> What's up with that? But here's the amazing thing. 87% of the people believe in the United States believe they'll be there, but only 79% of the people believe that Mother Teresa might, will be there for sure. What is up with that? I presume that's because she's Catholic. <laughs> What's up with that? I mean, this woman who sees the face of Jesus in every suffering person, she's not going to be, no, but we'll be there, you know? If it's up there, baby, I'll be there, all right? Because my guy got my ledger here. What is this? You see, that's not the way Paul defined righteousness. He said, I don't even want righteousness of my own. All I want is to be close enough to Jesus to participate in his righteousness, even if it costs me, even if it's tough, even if I have to suffer. How many of you have that kind of yearning 
to be that close with Jesus or with each other. How many of you find yourself thinking about your spouse? You know, I wish they'd lighten up a little bit. I've got a tough life too. Can't they just be a little bit more cheerful? I mean, just good news. Just, just bring me good news here. Quit being such a downer. And you kind of start distancing yourself because they're bringing you down. How many of you would just like to tell your kids, look, I got problems of my own. Come back when you get it together here. And you can kind of cheer me up a little. I had kids. to Somebody loved me, all right? This isn't working like this. How often would you see your children? Hardly ever. No. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is it just to love Christ for the power of his resurrection without going through his sufferings? How many of you are just going to skip to Easter and kind of skip over that crucifixion thing, that last supper? How many of you just want the good news because you need that good? Well, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting the power of God's resurrection. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something wrong with a love that will not see that the suffering in Christ gives us every opportunity, suffering in life gives us every opportunity to identify with what Christ did for us. That's complete love. That's wonderful love. And all of us have that kind of opportunity. As a matter of fact, when you think about it, that's the only opportunity we have to understand what life's all about. Being out there on your own may seem to be free, but there is no refuge out there. There really isn't. Charles Wesley one time, Charles Wesley was a wonderful songwriter, and he he sat beside his window uh, um, thinking about a hymn one time, and he looked out his window... And there was a little bird flying by. And suddenly, this bird of prey started chasing this little bird. And there was absolutely no refuge out there. I mean, there were were no trees. There was no nothing. And this little bird was trying everything he could do to get away. And finally, evidently, just spotted this hole in this wall and flew in this hole. Well, the hole happened to be Charles Wesley's window. And this little bird just flew directly into into his chest and knocked itself silly. And Charles, Charles said, I nursed it back to health and I let it go. I want to tell you, you may seem to want to be independent out there. And God may seem to be scary because he might demand more of us than we want to give him. But he's the only refuge. I'll tell you, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. That is our refuge. And so... Our righteousness and our perseverance is not about going it alone. It's about going to God. And and our pursuit of holiness is about our pursuit of intimacy with Him. Now read on with me and see what else Paul says. It says in verse 12, Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, The the Greek word here is teleos. It means fully mature. Now let me stop right here and give you a little news of relief. This may not be good news, but at least it's a little news of relief. I know many of you really struggle with your your Christian lives and and you're frustrated. And you're thinking, you know, I've been a Christian for X number of years. I really ought to be further along than I am at this time. I want you to see who's writing this. Who is the person who says, you know, I just quite haven't quite got it together yet. This is St. Paul. This is 30 years after St. Paul has had 
a salvation experience that was so significant that he got knocked off his horse, he was blind for three days, he audibly heard the voice of Christ, he went on to have a ministry that was so significant that he wrote the most significant books in the New Testament. He, he, was, a, he was more profoundly influential in the movement of Christianity than anyone except Jesus Christ himself. And he, 30 years later, is in prison for his faith, writing to the Philippians, and what does he say? You know, I just haven't quite got it right yet. Now, cut yourself some slack, will you? Look, we're not St. Paul. We're not even close. And so it's okay to not have it right yet. What we've got to do, though, is not give up just because we haven't got it right. You see, that was the secret of St. Paul. Not that I've got it right yet, but I press on. I press on. That's what he said next. Let me tell you about an awful thing I did when I was in Egypt. This is confession time. We were riding along in a minibus, and, and uh, there had just been conversations about, you know, how you shouldn't give to beggars and so on and so forth. Well, I, I've always given to beggars, always. And uh, especially if they're old and crippled, I just do. But here we are stopped at a stoplight, or stopped in traffic, and, uh, and sitting there in this 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 mother and her child come up to the side of the bus and my window's open. I'm sitting there looking at her. We've just had this conversation about how women rent babies in order to go down and, you know, get money and so on and so forth. And so, so I'm looking out and this, this woman's speaking Egyptian and she's patting the chest of her little girl, little baby girl. And she, it's obvious what she wants. I just looked at her and I said, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to give you anything. No, I'm sorry. And after what seemed like an eternity, that minivan finally went on in traffic. Do you know how many times I've thought of that mother and that little girl since I've been back? Every day I see her face and the face of her baby. Every day. I will never do that again. And let me tell you why I think God allows that image to come up. You see, when the image come up, comes up, it's, I don't sense condemnation. I don't sense God saying, you're so rotten and so selfish. What I sense is this. I sense him saying, Hunter, let's not do that anymore. Let's not do that anymore. Even though you have every reason to withhold, I don't like what happens to your heart when you do. Because it's not just about being smart in the way you give. It's about love. It's about walling up your heart. And I really feel like God would say to all of us, without condemnation, you may have every good reason not to give. But don't be that kind of person. Because Jesus is not that kind of person. Jesus gave until there wasn't any more to give. And so, even though I haven't attained it yet, God's come up and said, you know what, let's press on from here. Let's go from here. Go where? Well, read, read on with me. 
It says, I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. See, this isn't a one-way street. I'm stretching, Jesus is stretching. Brethren, I do not regard myself. Watch that word. I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Now stop right there. What happens when you're in this process of persevering toward Christ? This is the ticket. God wants us to make sure that we are forgetting Not the things we've done in the past, but watch this, the people we've been in the past. He wants it more complete because we can regret our actions all our lives. But here's what God wants us to see. It's ourself, ourselves that God wants us to change. He wants us to realize we are new new, new people. We're We're not those people anymore. Look at what it says in Romans 13, 14. It says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. It says in Ephesians 4, 24, it says this, Put on the new self or the new man in which uh, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and the holiness of truth. Here's the ticket. God wants us to forget the people we used to be. To to leave that behind. Tennyson wrote this in memoriam. He said, Men climb on stepping stones of their dead selves to higher things. Isn't that classic? Men climb on stepping stones of their dead selves to higher things. You see, in order to reach into the future, we've got to face the future. Most people never face the future. I don't know how many of you right now know what's coming in two or three years in your life. Most of you haven't even considered it. You know why? Because you're dealing with what you've done in the past and you're saying to yourself, well, I never want to do that again. Nope, don't want to do that again. Uh Uh-uh, nope, not that. Nope, I've learned from that. No, no, learned from my mistakes. Nope, not going to do that again. And meanwhile, you're backing into the future, literally. Why? Because your attention's on your past. And, you're, and, and, the, and the way you're going in the future is trying to make up for what you've done in the past. No. Or, only a little bit better, is your attention so focused on the past. Okay, I've dealt with the past, but right now I'm so busy. Right now, here's what I'm doing. I'm just doing what I'm doing right now. And yeah, I'm, just, I'm going into the future, but that's because the calendar's going in the future, and I'm happy to be going in the future with it. <laughs> that's not what the Bible's saying. Watch this. Forgetting what lies behind. Let God have that. Let Him have it. And looking forward to what lies ahead. You see, that's what God wants us to do with our lives. He wants us to be prepared for what's coming in the future. Did you read in the, in the USA, Today, USA Today newspaper, it was also in an international newspaper, an article about how admired... The American economy is right now, all over the world. Now, this is a surprise to many economists because it was only a few years ago that supposedly Japan and Germany's economy were supposed to far overtake us by now. 
But those economies are floundering. Meanwhile, ours are taking off. You know the reason? Well, it's, it's a, it, there are many reasons, but, but the main reason they believe that's true is because those economies and the, many of the, much of the rest of the world's economies are so taken up with obligations the way they've always done things. You think we have entitlement programs in this country? We, can't, we don't even come close to what they have in Japan and Germany as far as taking care of people at their full rate of pay, no matter how long they're out of work, and so on and so forth. And that's the way they've always done things. And so much of their productivity is tied up. Most of their resources is tied up in those systems. But in America, we've, had, we've said, look, we'll take a little less security so that we can make adjustments for what's coming from the future. Because we want that kind of flexibility, that kind of elasticity. And that's what makes for a healthy economy. That's what makes for a healthy spiritual life. If you're so tied up paying your dues to the past and spending all of your resources on the present, you don't have what it takes to face the future. And what Scripture is saying is that this is not about keeping these little moral ledgers and just, just no matter what you do, you, you make these little behavioral adjustments. This is about looking for God when He's coming at you. This is about seeing what God's bringing to you. Look into the future. So it says exactly that. It says, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize. Now, this, now we're getting ready for something big here, aren't we? We've got the goal and the prize here, in two and one sentence. And we're thinking, boy, something big coming here. Look at what it is. Of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. You know what? I don't know whether this is good news or bad news to you. You've already got the goal and prize in your life if you're a Christian. You've already got the, the goal and the prize is the call of Jesus Christ himself. You say, well, that's kind of ordinary. That's kind of ordinary stuff. That's exactly the point. God does wonderful things in ordinary life. Most of the time, when I talk to people, they're waiting for something big to happen. Boy, when this happens, it's going to be great. And they, th and they think life is about big things happening. No, life is what happens while you're waiting for something big to happen. That's life. And God is active in life. In life. And you know what I see in this book? God does spectacular things in the ordinary. The most wonderful ministry in the world is the ordinary ministry. You know, we had these kids marching in with branches, you know, and one song, a little cheesy thing, you know, and you think, well, that's kind of a little cheesy parade. You know? <laughs> Shouldn't there be something like, like some big balloon or something? I mean, some, you know, floats or something? I mean, this is Palm Sunday. You know what? I bet the Palm Sunday parade that Jesus walked in, it wasn't much bigger than that one. I mean, there's a habit in the Middle East where they can just break in a parade of, uh, at the moment, and they usually do. About every week they have some sort of parade or demonstration. That's, that's part of the culture. It was very ordinary for them. And the Lord came in the midst of the ordinary. That's why so many people missed it, because they were expecting something spectacular. God acts most wonderfully in ordinary lives, in the ordinary times. Why do we discount that? 
Why, did, why do we dis, dis, disrespect our routines to the, to the extent that we don't think that God is most fully in those routines? We're just regular people. North is just a regular church. I love that about North. We're just a church. We're, there's nothing special. We're just a church. We're one of, one of God's quabillion churches. Just another church. There's nothing special about this place other than God's here. And that's all that needs to be special. Now, do people get healed? People get healed here every week. People, marriages are saved here every week. People get saved here every week. There are spectacular things that happen, but we don't make a ministry of the spectacular. We make a ministry of the ordinary, and God does the spectacular in the midst of the ordinary. Please, don't make your lives those of glitz and glamour and nothing's happened unless it's been big. Nothing much will happen. Or you'll find yourself hyping your way to fraudulence. That's what happens with many ministries. They hype their way to fraudulence because they will only see God in the spectacular things. We're ordinary folks. God happens in ordinary life. You know, I, I heard an interesting statistic this week. Listen to this. I love statistics. They're just fun. We're, we're kind of a, 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 a basketball, pro basketball city, see? Magic. Yeah, magic. By the way, how, did, how big did Magic win today? Big? Big? Okay. Beat the Lakers like 20 points or something like that. I just clicked. Okay. All right. All right. So see, we're big, big pro basketball people. But you know what? <laughs> As big as pro basketball is in this nation, listen to this. Bingo is bigger. <laughs> it is. <laughs> People, listen to this. This will wipe you out. Wipe me out. People who attend bingo games outnumber people who attend pro basketball games by 59 to 1. Is that unreal? Why? Because we're regular people. And that's okay. Being holy, being persistent in our holiness is about being with God during the regular times and that being good enough. And one more thing, and then I'll quit. I want you to see the last two verses of this because Paul says, you know, in the closing verses of this chapter, he says, you know, if you don't see it my way, uh, I help you here. <laughs> I, I know some of you have trouble and some of you, you, you know, you're just not with it and the, your, God, your belly is still your God and you like the big things and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to know that for Christians, our God is the Lord of the heavens and we're citizens of heaven. And He is the one who is transforming our bodies. He is transforming our lives. Now here's what I want you to get. When it talks about perseverance in holiness, it is not just our effort toward Christ instead of toward moral goodness or moral goodness only. It is Christ's effort toward us. That's what this is talking about. We can have perseverance because God has perseverance toward us. We love because God first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. Yesterday, I came to a wedding and watched a, this is a daughter of an elder. I'd watched her grow up uh, from, from a little girl. She'd been a hard worker in the church, and it was just my pleasure. Pastor Kevin did the wedding. It was my pleasure just to come and watch the wedding. And Becky and I came in and sat down, and, and uh, the wedding was, uh, uh, and, and 
and Linda was on, on this side, and then Eleanor uh, came in. Eleanor Tracy came in, sat down beside on my on my right hand. Becky was on my left hand. Eleanor's on my right hand. And this little girl got up to sing. Oh, she wasn't little. She was 15, 16 years old, but everybody looks young to me these days. Is that happening to you? Everybody looks so young. So anyhow, she gets up to sing, pretty boys. I mean, beautiful. But on her way up, of course, Eleanor is, is telling me about it. She's one of Eleanor's students. She's telling me about this girl's story, and it's so interesting. And so I'm kind of rooting for her by the time she gets up there. And, and she starts to sing. Beautiful voice, beautiful song. And I just feel something happening where Eleanor's sitting. Do you ever just sense that something's going on? But you don't want to look, because that would be impolite. I mean, you don't want just to go. <laughs> you just want to do It's impolite. My mother taught me better than that. And so, so this is what I did. you ever do this? I can't lean back a little bit like a... Kind <laughs> of looking up and down. Eleanor is sitting over like this. This girl singing this song. Eleanor's sing- mouthing the words herself. And she's trying to draw this girl, trying to help her with her song. Do you ever see something? Her body's kind of kind of trying to get the song out, you know. I'm thinking to myself, she's working a lot harder than she's working. <laughs> she's wanting this to happen a lot more than this than she does. And I thought to myself, you know, God's not in heaven just having his nails done waiting for us to get there. <laughs> I just picture God up in heaven where we're down here trying to do stuff going. <laughs> He's our teacher. You know, we're his disciples. God's in this thing. He's pulling us out of it. So it's not a matter just of our perseverance. It's a matter of his perseverance. Pray with me. God, thank you that we're not here out on our own just trying to do good stuff. Thank you that it's not just a matter of, its, of goodness. It's a matter of intimacy. It's a matter of love. And thank you that we know that the reason that we can be persevering is because you are persevering toward us. You are the one who is pulling us along. You are the one who is coming beside us and saying, you know, I know you don't have it yet, but press on, press on. I'm still calling you. Lord, help us to hang on to the right stuff. Help us to hold on, not to things, not even to visions, but to Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.